Hey everyone, before we begin the podcast, I wanted to let you know about another live play event the Roundtable is cooking up. Some Roundtable panelists and I are stress testing high level combat in the new edition of D&D, and this time we're throwing down with the Queen of Chromatics, Tiamat. That's right, the Tarasque Takedown crew is reuniting to take on the evil goddess with all new adventurers in a battle DM'd by the best of the best, Mike Shea. We'll be live streaming our battle on Tuesday, December 2nd at 8.30pm Eastern, and then releasing YouTube videos and a podcast later. You can get all the information at the Tome Show. All right, let's start this podcast. Hello and welcome to Gamer to Gamer. I'm your host, James Intracasso. This is a podcast where I interview pros in the gaming industry about their careers and the games they love to play. Today's guest is Jeremy Crawford. Jeremy is the managing editor of D&D at Wizards of the Coast and one of the lead designers of the latest edition of D&D. He's got a lot to say about the release of the fifth edition Dungeon Master's Guide. Please use the affiliate links on thetomeshow.com whenever you shop on Amazon or D&D Classics to help support the show. Just go to thetomeshow.com, click on the links in the show notes for this episode or any other, and then shop as you normally would. Alright, let's get to my interview with Jeremy. It is a goodin'. Hey everybody, I am here with Jeremy Crawford, who is a level 30 NPC, if we have ever had one on the show. (laughs) Jeremy, how are you doing? I'm doing great, thank you. Congratulations on what appears to be a very successful, very elegantly designed edition of Dungeons and Dragons. I know it was a lot of work. Oh, well, thank you very much. Yeah, it was a it was a tremendous amount of work for the entire team. For us, since we're all fans of D&D, what's most gratifying for us is that all of our other fans of D&D uh, seem to be so happy with uh, this thing that we poured three years of our lives into. The work shows. Let me just say that the work really shows, and we appreciate it so. And thank you for including us in the process with the playtest. That's huge. Oh, we, I mean, we couldn't have done it without the amazing feedback we got from our playtesters. Because uh, as everyone saw who was involved in the playtest process, there was a lot of evolution that was inspired by the amazing feedback we got from the over 175,000 people who tried out the game. Thank you for listening to us, because we definitely felt heard, (laughs) for sure. Um, Good, good. So take me all the way back. When did you first lay hands on a tabletop role-playing game? What were you playing, and who were you with? So I first started playing uh, D&D back in elementary school. I was probably eight or nine years old, and I was introduced uh, to D&D by my sister because uh, she started playing it with one of our common friends. And she was like, oh, you've got to try out this game. You can do anything you want. <laughs> and what's hilarious is as kids, and so this was in the first edition days, at first we had no idea there were rule books. We just thought there were adventures. <laughs> and so we just made up whatever our characters did. And like we were all like, hey, we all have Vorpal swords. Sure, whatever. <laughs> um, so my, my earliest experience of D&D was that it was this wide open game where you can do anything. You know, your, your imagination was the only limit. Um, once I finally saw a player's handbook, then I became even more fascinated by it because I was like, what? There are rules <laughs> that can guide what you do? So then it became this sort of interesting puzzle to figure out. I've been playing D&D and other role-playing games uh, since then. You know, I've played every edition of D&D. I've played basic D&D. There are many other RPGs I've loved over the years. I play board games. I play video games. But 
really the game that's always been my first love is D and D, and has has been with me through almost you know my entire life. And I I started doing work on RPGs. Uh, it was over ten years ago. Uh, at the time, I was the web manager at California College of the Arts in San Francisco. I oversaw all of the college's websites. I also uh, helped guide some of the students there in web design. But on the side, I was doing um, RPG writing and editing for Green Ronin Publishing. I uh, worked on uh, the role-playing game Blue Rose. I was one of the designers of that game. I did some writing for Mutants and Masterminds. I did some writing for the second edition of Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay. As I was working on that material, I basically built built up a body of work that I was then able to show to Wizards of the Coast when a job opened up here that I applied for. Got the job here, started about seven years ago, and over the past seven years, uh, I've gone from working on the very last third edition book, which was The City of Stormreach, to working on the very first fourth edition product, which was Keep on the Shadowfell. I actually wrote uh, the rule supplement that was in that product, uh, then wrote the final version of the combat rules in the fourth edition player's handbook, and just one thing led to another, and then working <laughs> on fifth edition. And it's been, it's been a great journey. I mean, one of my favorite things, of, I mean, part of it, of course, is I get to play D&D as a part of my job. But it's also amazing to be able to get to interact with, as I mentioned before, all my thousands of other fellow fans. And to really learn through working on the game, interacting with them at conventions, and seeing their feedback, uh, that there's a reason why this game has such staying power, not only for so many people around the world, but even for those of us like me who've been playing it for decades and decades. And it's because it is, going back to my very first experience, it is so wide open, and it can serve so many different tastes, so many different imaginations. You know, People who love miniatures play love this game. People who love wide open role playing love this game. Uh, I mean, it's this this amazing platform for people's fantasy storytelling, uh, for you know their their desire to have you know tactical combat. It's like you can, it's you can do so much with this. It's again just an amazing platform. Yeah, it is. It's hugely amazing, and I have to actually praise you guys for in the player's handbook and in the player basic rules. We have that description of sex and gender, um, mm. which mm-hmm. is more inclusive than it's ever been in any edition of D&D. So it seems like you guys are even taking that idea of you can be anything to the next level, which which is huge. It's great to see a game like D&D, which has long been a champion for people who you know have sort of been pushed to the outskirts for one reason or another, being geeks or nerds, or to mm-hmm. become a champion of you can be anything and we are accepting of all people. So come to the table and have some fun yeah absolutely that that material as well as um our depiction of uh gender and also different ethnicities in our art those are really a part of the heart and soul of the new edition because as as we said really early on in the playtest process our our goal is to make a version of DD that's inclusive inclusive of different play styles you know inclusive of the best elements of previous editions but also inclusive of different types of players. And that means not only people who have different gaming tastes, but also people who look different, people who feel different, you know, people who are men, people who are women, people who identify as transgender, gay people, straight people. Everyone has a place at the D&D table. And, and we decided we want, we want the books themselves to make that clear and, and not just be some sort of side thing we occasionally say. We're sort of going to plant our flag and say, no, D&D is for everybody. 
That's really great because there are a lot of people in many industries who are still afraid to plant that flag. So mm-hmm. uh, kudos to you guys on that. Um, oh, thank you. So let's talk about right now. What are you playing right now? Are you running a game? Are you a player in a game? You're probably, I imagine, involved in multiple uh, games <laughs> at the moment. Uh, so when, when it comes to D&D games over the last two years, most of my D&D play and DMing uh, has been playtest uh, D&D, which is actually really different f- often from regular D&D because here, here in-house when we do playtesting, it can often get very kind of almost scientific, like we're going to test these five things. All right, we've now tested them. Game over. You know, and, <laughs> and so it's been great as the game has been finishing up to return to just regular D&D play. So like this morning, Chris Perkins and I were just talking about the fact that he'll be relaunching his campaign in the new year, and I, I'm a player in his campaign, and I'll be relaunching my home campaign uh, Thanksgiving weekend, actually. And this is a campaign I've been running for years now in a setting I created, again, way back in first edition. I've been <laughs> using it all these years. And then, of course, there's also convention play. Just uh, last week, or God, was it week before last? I was at uh, the Luca Comics and Games convention in Italy, and I ran a Ravenloft Adventure there. Oh, wow. That's awesome. So you are running as many games as you would hope someone (laughs) in (laughs) your position would be running. So tell me a little bit about the world that you are going to relaunch this Thanksgiving weekend. Uh, So it's a campaign setting I actually uh, created years ago as uh, the original home of Barovia. Uh, As a kid, the original Ravenloft, I-6, was my absolute favorite D&D adventure. And, but I was always wondering, like, what world is Barovia originally in? Because this was before uh, the Ravenloft campaign setting set in the Demiplane of Dread was created. So I started doing this before that. Uh, and, and I thought, well, what would the rest of the world that Barovia is in look like? And so Barovia was the seed for my entire campaign setting, uh, which is sort of a you know, late medieval, vaguely gothic setting, but with a lot of mythological elements. Uh, right now, the campaign is actually focused on a part of the world called the Isle of Oberon, which is very Celtic. Uh, but there are, there are characters from the area around Barovia who are involved in the story. So it, it's certainly a great example of how D&D material can inspire somebody to like create an entire world. Because again, I created an entire setting just with the little seed of the village of Barovia and Castle Ravenloft. <laughs> yeah, that's a great example for anybody out there who's looking for some inspiration for their own campaign. And who knows, maybe years down the road, we'll see a, a published setting uh, with your world in it. So. Possibly. I've, I've certainly gotten many requests along those lines anytime, anytime I uh, have people in that world. In fact, at the convention uh, in Italy, uh, the Ravenloft game I ran was in my home setting. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. Well, add my voice to the chorus. So if there's a petition or anything, let me know. I'll sign up. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Before we get to that, we we still have uh, plenty we'd like to do in the Forgotten Realms, and plus we have we have all the other beloved classic settings uh, that we refer to, you know, in the Player's Handbook and the Monster Manual and the Dungeon Master's Guide, like Planescape and Greyhawk and Dragonlance and Mastara and Dark Sun, and you know the list goes on. <laughs> well, speaking of the Dungeon Master's Guide, why don't we delve into that? We're a few weeks away from the release. Uh, I know Black Friday is coming up, and I am eager to get my paws 
on mine. Uh, I certainly, it looks like a very ambitious book. What are some of the things that you're most excited? Well, I have it. I have it right here. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> I knew we should have done this interview in person. Our uh, department has two copies of it, and so this is this is one of the two copies. <laughs> our our big vision for this book is we wanted this book to be a a dungeon master's toolbox to to be this tome filled with inspiration for DMs and creating worlds, creating adventures, fiddling with the rules. It's like Dungeon Master's Guides of the Past, but also uh, fresh in its approach. I mean, because you'll find classic things here. There's magic items, of course. Um, in fact, almost 90 pages of them. Oh, yeah. um, uh, there, you know, there are there's random dungeon creation, like in the first edition mm-hmm. DMG. You know, a lot of the material kinds of material that uh, people have seen and love from previous DMGs are here. But there's also a lot more uh, sort of kit bashing material, the kind of thing that people saw, like in the third edition Unearthed Arcana book, uh, where you know we'll give you an alternative version of a rule and say, hey, DM, if you want to customize your campaign in a particular way, here's how you can do it. Thankfully, because our rules are pretty straightforward in 5th edition, uh, we're able to provide a number of options with sort of using very little page real estate. I mean, there are, there are spots where, you know, we might have four or five different rules options all crammed onto one page just because there's so much, uh, yeah, this spread alone has rules on fear, horror, uh, using healing surges, slower natural healing, different ways to use healer's kits, different rest variants, firearms, and explosives. <laughs> all on two pages. Wow. Wow. So, And that's uh, we're talking about a book that's coming in at around 300-ish, possibly more pages? Three, 320 pages. Wow, wow. So we can expect to see a lot then. If that's what's in two pages, there's probably <laughs> a lot more. But then there are also pages like this where, you know, you're seeing magic items here that are lavishly illustrated. Wow. Uh, and our artists did an amazing job of giving each of the magic items that's illustrated a really unique look. Probably more than any other Dungeon Master's Guide, I look through this magic item section and there are items I want to use simply because the painting is so awesome. You know, it's like, I'm going to come up with a reason to use the Mace of Terror just because, man, it looks cool. (laughs) One of the things that I remember Chris Perkins saying early on is that there's more art for magic items in this Dungeon Master's Guide than ever before. Yes, yeah, absolutely. There, more of the items are illustrated than have ever been illustrated in a Dungeon Master's Guide. There have been other magic item books in D&D's history that have had a lot of illustration, but a DMG has never had as many items illustrated as this one does. And we decided to do that, A, because we wanted each of these books to be really beautiful and a pleasure to look at, but we also wanted the paintings themselves to be a source of inspiration and to really help establish a look for a lot of these classic items. And the book does focus on items that have been in the game since first edition. So there, you know, there are lots of classics. There are a few new items as well, um, as well as some items we've cherry-picked uh, from editions that came after first. So you know, there might be some that weren't in first edition, but were in second, or were in third, or were in fourth. But it's a lot of classics, and again, all beautifully illustrated. Nice. So what level of hackability are we talking about in the DMG? Certainly we have those variant rules, but am mm-hmm. I going to be able to crack this open, and I'll have advice on creating different archetypes for the fighter, and different races, and that sort of thing? It is 
there, there's a lot of material to use for hacking. Uh, the, the book is divided into three parts, uh, just like the player's handbook was divided into three parts. Part one of the DMG is called The Master of Worlds. Part two is called The Master of Adventures. And part three is called The Master of Rules. Now, part three is like just the kit basher's dream, filled with rules um, and rules options. But there are also kit bashing options in parts one and two, because like in part one, uh, we tell you different ways you can tweak the game to suit different styles of play or different genres. Like we tell you, hey, you want a Wuxia campaign, sort of like Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, here's what you can do. Uh, you don't need to wait for an Oriental Adventures product later. We give you the guidelines right here in the Dungeon Master's Guide. Same with the section on designing adventures. We have lots of options for here are different ways you can make NPCs, uh, you know, here are different ways you can handle different adventuring environments. Uh, and then, again, you get to part three, and it's like, here's how you can just fiddle with kind of the raw rules themselves. And again, there are a bun bunch of options. Uh, there's some big ones that, that we had hoped to include uh, that are, are not in the book. Probably the biggest is that we had a whole mass combat system designed uh, that didn't make the cut, unfortunately, uh, mostly because we decided we liked it so much we wanted to play test it more and uh, then at a later point uh, give it away uh, as part of the basic rules. But again, it's a, it's a kit basher's dream. I'm sure there's something here that, that some people will say, darn it, I wish that was in the Dungeon Master's <laughs> Guide. But it's amazing just how much made it in. And like you, you asked about creating um, like new races or new sub-races. Yeah, we... Uh, we give guidelines on uh, creating a new race, and we even provide a race as an example. We provide the Asimar, and then uh, and then we provide an example of creating a sub race, and for that we uh, give the Aladrin as a new sub race of the Elf, um, and that that's there especially as a nod to uh, people who really love the Aladrin in Fourth Edition. Uh, but I'm sure others will want to use it too. And in each case, we use them as examples of how you can create a race or a sub-race of your own. Uh, we also talk about how to fiddle with class abilities, how to change classes' spell lists, uh, how to, you know the extensive section on creating your own monsters. There's a lot. It's funny that you bring up both the Eladrin, which is a very fourth edition race, and then the mm -hmm. Asimar, which is you know feels more part of the old school uh, right. versions of D and D. Mm and -hmm. I think, from my perspective, you guys have done a great job. I think pleasing everyone with fifth edition, mm -hmm. and that's the feedback I'm seeing on an anecdotal level. Are you guys feeling the same thing over there with all of these core products that people are? getting into it and players old and new alike are really enjoying fifth edition? Uh, yeah. Yeah. The, the feedback has been uh, overwhelmingly positive. I mean, there, there are always going to be people that aren't, you know, crazy about, you know, something in, in one of our, our products, but overall the, the message we're getting is we love it. And I think, I think it helps for us that many of the decisions that we've made, we've made out of a love for D and D ourselves. Um, you know, my, Mike Merles, my co-lead, and I, uh, we have things we love about every edition of this game. We have things we love about every setting for this game. So for us, it hasn't been a stretch to you know look at what's great in previous editions and bring that forward. And we even still occasionally you know like the idea of going back and playing those editions. 
you know, it, as a part of our design process for fifth, we played every previous edition. You know, that was a part of our research uh, to really make sure it was fresh in our minds. What was unique about the experience of each of the previous editions? Uh, because every edition has some has had something special to bring to the table. Rather than fifth being a response against its predecessors, we wanted it to embrace them uh, and to kind of honor what was good about them while making its own statement as well. Yeah, it just strikes me as, and even the, you know, like you said, everybody has their complaints, but even those are so nitpicky. No one can find a general complaint with this edition. <laughs> you know, and I think a lot of the nitpickies come down to, well, it's your choice. And if you're a DM and you're running the game, just throw that out. You know, change right. the way that works. It's a simple fix. The rules have gotten out of the way. So you can tell the story you want to tell. Which exactly was one of our main goals is we, we, wanted, we wanted the game to be true to its roots. And that is being a storytelling platform. And we felt the best way to do that was to make sure the rules were serving the DM and the story and not, and not feel like the rules were the engine that the DM was serving. We also, and this is something Mike and I have both talked about in public before, we also felt that if we wanted to create a robust set of options for the game later, we needed to make sure the core of the game was as simple as possible, because it's far easier to build on top of a simple core than a highly complex one. Uh, and it, it, and then it, it, that's, again, why many of the options in the Dungeon Master's Guide are easy to present with so few words because they're building on top of something that's simple to begin with. Can you uh, talk to me a little bit about the madness section of the mm. Dungeon Master's Guide? That is the most intriguing subtitle on the table of contents to me personally, and uh, I can't wait to use it. Uh, so I will, uh, I will turn to the madness section. <laughs> and, and the madness section is a great example of us uh, providing material to serve different styles of play. Um, we know uh, many D&D games often like to kind of wander off into Lovecraftian-style horror, and that was the inspiration. Serving that kind of game was the inspiration for this madness section, which really is not trying to present real-world madness in any way. This is kind of fantasy, you know, Lovecraftian-style madness. Yes, uh, the best I can, kind. I, I can show you... There's, there's this sort of haunted-looking man uh, in the, the first first couple of pages of Madness. Uh, you'll see on the, the next page there are tables um, where you can, roll, you can roll to find out uh, what type of Madness you have. Uh, first, you, first you find out if you have short-term Madness, long-term Madness, or indefinite Madness. Uh, and uh, one of the things I really enjoy about... Um, some of what we've done in the madness rules, and this is something we do elsewhere with some of our optional rules as well, is some of the uh, the sorts of madness, especially indefinite madness, give your character an additional flaw. So we play a bit more with the um, ideals, flaws, and bonds mechanic that we have with uh, your character's personality in the player's handbook. So madness basically gives you an additional flaw. And we, we do that with several other optional rules in the DMG. Oh, that's excellent. And I'm assuming the same hackability uh, that you're talking about for player options and for rules exists also for monsters that creating mm -hmm. your own monsters is going to be made easy and that there will be templates and things like that that we'll see. Yeah, the, the, 
There are already uh, some templates in the Monster Manual because uh, there were some we wanted to be right there. And then once you get into the the section on on monster kit bashing, it's quite a large section. I'll just show you this insane two uh, page spread. Oh my gosh! This entire thing is a giant table of of different features. Uh, you can give to a monster that you're creating from wow. scratch, or that, uh, or if you're customizing an existing monster. Wow! It looks like a feet table from yep. you know from third edition or something. It's that uh -huh. big and huge. There's more. This this entire table is showing you how to make uh, NPCs of various races, and this is showing you the different features and ability modifiers uh, for making those NPCs. It also wouldn't be too hard for a DM to take this NPC information, extrapolate from that, and then create new uh, player character races. There's all this sort of crunchy goodness within there. Mm -hmm. Is there a lot of advice for new DMs as well? You know, is there a lot of, uh, I think one of the things that 4th edition handled very well was if you were a new DM, it sort of helped walk you through that process. It sounds like mm. this has a lot of great game rule information and how to hack and that kind of thing. But if I want to give this to somebody who's new, is this going to be a big help for them or will it be confusing? Uh, we do actually have some of the same advice in this book that the fourth edition Dungeon Master's Guide had, but uh, a lot of it we had to condense because we were trying to uh, fit so much other content in this book as well. So there definitely is some some guidance for the new DM, but our expectation is that totally new DM will start with the starter set uh, and run uh, The Lost Mind of Fandelver Adventure, because that adventure has incited advice for the new DM. So we think that's actually a better starting point. And then that, that new DM can dive into the Dungeon Master's Guide. And, and the Dungeon Master's Guide will walk the brand new DM through, like, here's how you make an adventure. Here's how you create an entire world. Um, and again, we have random tables so that the DM wants, he or she could actually roll up an entire adventure almost almost entirely at random, uh, because not only do we have uh, random tables for creating dungeons, we have random tables for creating NPCs, uh, for figuring out various events going on in your, your campaign world. So you could really just you know get out your dice, page through this book, and roll up, roll up an adventure. Wow, it sounds like uh, improvisation is going to be much easier with this book, uh, which is huge for people who don't have a lot of time. Uh, I'm glad you brought that up, because uh, Chris Perkins and I... Um, we, we were the two leads on this book who were finishing up the book in its final months. Um, he and I, are, as DMs, are both huge improvisers. Um, our, our style is really to build sort of a detailed world, often come up with maps for an adventure, but then a lot of the details we come up with on the fly. So it really resonates with us as Dungeon Masters to have a book that just gives us lots of raw material for for our improvisation, but we also built it for DMs who like to plan things more in advance, uh, because I know some DMs, you know, they like every detail to be figured <laughs> out ahead of time. Yeah, well, it sounds like it's it's going to be a great book for anybody, that there's so much information in there, um, you know, and, and I'm not being paid to say this, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, really, I, I'm just so excited, and, uh, you know, I know that you guys had to delay this a little bit. Um, <laughs> Talk to me about that. Uh, you know, we're, we're seeing a little bit about that, but it seems like 
in the end, these weights are worth it. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's nice to see that there isn't a, well, you know, a lot of people are going to buy this anyway, so let's rush this out. You guys are taking your time and doing it right. How has that decision gone over with everybody over there? Thankfully, it was, it was a decision that was supported in the company all the way up to the Wizards of the Coast president. Our highest priority for these books is that they be high quality and that they serve D&D &D and our fans well. And when we saw that we needed a few more weeks to really get this book right, you know, that message sort of went up the chain and we got approval for the time. And, and it turned out to be exactly the amount of time we needed to kind of get all, all of the scroll, screws tightened in and get everything bolted in place. Because really at that point, the content was long complete, uh, but there was just a lot of spit and polish that we wanted to do, um, especially because we've been approaching these three books as a set, and we wanted to make sure the Dungeon Master's Guide was really syncing up the way we intended it to with the Player's Handbook and the Monster Manual. Because uh, there's material in this book that speaks directly to material in the monster manual, for instance. Like this book has uh, the lists of monsters, not only by terrain, but also by challenge rating. And we did that because we wanted a DM to be able to have the lists open in the Dungeon Master's Guide with the monster manual open next to it so you could the DM could be looking at the monsters and the list simultaneously. So there's kind of a there's a cohesion to the three books uh, that was a lot of work to pull off, but but something you know we, we're really committed to doing. And that, that it's that kind of thing that led to us needing a bit more time. Well, and that's actually pretty brilliant. Uh, you know, there were a lot of people who said, the Monster Manual is perfect, but they forgot this Monster by Challenge rating table. Uh, so, but... <laughs> no, it's, it's over here in the other book. But, but I totally sympathized with that feeling because, you know, people are basically seeing, with this release plan, they were seeing part of a three book set and it it really only all makes sense once you see all three books together um because yeah here's the here's the the monster by challenge rating section even with art oh um, nice <laughs> and it's it's preceded by uh extensive monster lists by environment and like every single creature in the monster <laughs> you know except for some of the uh, some of the planar threats that aren't tied to a particular environment. Those are the only ones that don't appear here. Um, nice. But all the monsters appear on the challenge rating lists. Oh, so that's so you can even make some random encounter tables then if you know which environment your party is going to be in. You flip to that section. And, and the book's material on creating your own random encounter tables relies on those environment lists. So that section that, that tells you, here's how you make a random encounter table says, okay, now go look at those environment lists to see you know, what kind of monsters typically appear in environment, and uh, here are those monsters' CRs. How much of this, then, at some point is going to make its way into the basic rules, um, which you guys have, you're, you're giving away D&D &D for free <laughs> uh, there. Um, so how, how much of the Dungeon Master's Guide uh, can we expect to be added to the already quite lengthy DM basic rules? We are, we're still looking at how much more of the, the DMG we're going to move over into the basic Basic rules. I would. I expect uh, a few more magic items to make it over, as well as some of the other rules that we have in the DMG, specifically on running the game. Now, a lot of the material uh, in this book that's that's directed at kit bashing will just stay in the book. 
because that that really isn't necessary to run basic DD. Uh, but yeah, anything in here that we feel like, you know, this is this will be an important part of a starter DD experience, we'll move that into the basic rules. Uh, because our goal with the basic rules is for uh, a group to have a very low barrier to entry to DD. Uh, and that that's why we are happily giving away as much as we are for free uh, in the basic rules. And so do you guys have any sort of information about how many people are coming and downloading the basic rules and looking at them and that sort of thing? Are they getting mm-hmm. a lot of hits, as it were? Ton, ton, tons. So uh, it was very gratifying early on. Uh, I think it was within the first couple of weeks, the basic rules had already been downloaded um, more more times than we had playtesters in the public playtest. Wow. So, so our our thinking was, well, good. At, at the very least, we got our playtesters to come back <laughs> and, and download the rules. Uh, and, and now the numbers are high enough that clearly people, even people who weren't involved in the playtest have been downloading the basic rules. Yeah, I know I'm, a, I'm part of the, you know, the blogging community, and it's interesting to see people who have GURPS blogs and people who have blogs that have nothing to do with D&D other than that they are about a tabletop role-playing game mm-hmm. system people looking at the rules on, you know, the basic rules because they were out there for free, writing blog posts about them, and then, you know, coming to me and other people who run D&D games and saying, uh, you know, I really want to play for the edition. Do you have any open <laughs> seats at your table? That sort of right. thing. So I know you've you've definitely got a few new players thanks to that. And, you know, I, I keep it open when I'm playing because I have a searchable PDF for rules mm. right there. Yep. What is your plan for this uh, release? Once the DMG is out and everything, uh, are you going to take like a nice, nice, long, well-deserved nap uh, <laughs> and uh, and start uh, enjoying, you know, everything that's rolled out in the accolades? So uh, I, I do have, thankfully, a long vacation next <laughs> month. But I mean, we're already at work at uh, products for the next uh, three years, uh, and we have a lot of exciting things coming. Um, our focus, obviously, right now is on the, the Dungeon Master's Guide coming out. The, the Dungeon Master screen uh, comes out in January. You know, right now people are are still experiencing the Tyranny of Dragons storyline, but which uh, is excellent, by the way. Really, oh, good storyline. Love it. Glad, so. glad you like it. Um, but yeah, we, we, we definitely have uh, more to come. Speaking of Tyranny of Dragons, I assume you've seen the statistics for Tiamat. Uh, yes. <laughs> so I am, uh, I am live streaming a game uh, that Mike Shea is DMing. Um, uh-huh. And we are going to take on Tiamat. Uh, oh, and I'm boy. wondering if Good you luck. just have a, have any <laughs> advice, what sort of character build should I look at uh, for, for taking her on? Because even for a party of level 20 characters, it seems like she is going to be a, a challenge. Yeah, even a, a group of 20, 20 level characters is going to have a hard time surviving that encounter. Do you guys all have magic items? Yes, yeah, he's allowing us four magic items each. Ooh, so. he's being generous. Okay, so maybe maybe one or two of you will, will survive. <laughs> <laughs> well, and we're we're waiting to play the encounter until December 2nd so that we can all have a copy of the Dungeon Master's Guide. Uh, okay, get, good. Get some of the loot from there before, yeah. we, uh, before we face TMI. Well, I, I think a good starting point is make sure the group has... Uh, Plenty of damage mitigation in the form of class features, spells, and magic items. 
Great. So where can people find you if they're looking to uh, ask you questions for rules clarification or send accolades your way? Uh, people can find me easiest on Twitter. Um, I'm at Jeremy E. Crawford. Yeah, so it's just my name with an E between the Jeremy and the Crawford, just for my middle initial. Well, thank you very much for being with me today, Jeremy. I appreciate you coming on Gamer to Gamer. Oh, it's, it's been my pleasure. Guys, if you have a question or comment about the show, you can reach out to me on Twitter at James Intracasso. That's at J-A-M-E-S-I-N-T-R-O-C-A-S-O. Or you can go to the Tome Show's website, thetomeshow.com. And a quick shameless plug for me, check out my blog, which is all about Exploration Age. It's the fifth edition world I'm building. It's at worldbuilderblog.me. Okay, everyone, thanks for listening, and thanks to Jeremy Crawford for being on the show. Also, many thanks to Jeff Greiner and everyone at The Tome Show. Don't forget to go to thetomeshow.com and use the affiliate links whenever you shop on Amazon or D&D Classics to help support the show. Remember, never give up. Life is a game. Eventually, you gotta roll a 20. <laughs>